0: out the sand dunes at Stockton. A real reminder, I think, of the ever-shifting phenomenon of nature that we see, and the waves are rolling in just over there to my right, and behind me the sand dunes are moving. You can't see them move on most days, but they are, and just in front of me the sun is just rising, and another day begins life is moving all the time, changing all the time. And it's a real reminder of the passage that we're going to be reading together this morning from Ecclesiastes 3. Solomon refers to it as seasons, and we can relate to that. Where I grew up as a kid, man, we didn't have sand dunes like this, and We had beaches available, but you didn't want to swim in them. We only had two seasons where I grew up, in the far northwest of Queensland, up in the Gulf Country. Uh, We had the dry season and the wet season. Imaginatively named, aren't they? Because they are, well, they're experienced exactly as they're named. Uh, During the dry season, it's... Parched and arid. And during the wet season, oftentimes you're stuck in communities because you cut off by rising rivers and uh, flooded plains. But the further I've moved south over the years, we've experienced the normal four seasons of the year summer, winter, like it is now. But then there is autumn and spring and each season has a distinctive flavor to it, a distinctive experience, things that you can enjoy about that season and things maybe that you can't wait to finish to get back to warm days where you can swim at a beach like this maybe or or maybe you prefer snuggling up under a blanket next to a a fire somewhere Um, and that's your thing. Every season is different. Every season... Changes and that's that's what Solomon's going to talk about as an analogy for life. So we're in Ecclesiastes chapter three, and I want to read um, this opening uh, poetic um, beginning to the chapter. I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Bible again. It says this: Ecclesiastes chapter three, starting from verse one. There is an occasion for everything, and a time for every activity under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones, a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing. A time to search, and a time to count as loss, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. So here's what I want to do in the time that we have remaining together. Number one, I want to point out a few things about this poem that I think are helpful for us as we... Uh, Begin to explore it a bit, help us start off on the right foot with it. But then, number two, I mostly want to let Solomon comment on this poem because I believe that's what he does in the verses that follow it. What do we have to learn from this teacher about his observations of life and his reflections on this poem? But then, thirdly, I want to see if we can trace a line from this poem all the way to Jesus. If we can make sense of this under the sun, but in the light of what Jesus has to say. So number one, let's, let's try and frame the poem a little bit so that we can um, try to grasp the significance of it. First thing I want you to notice about this is that Solomon frames this poem by using the metaphor of seasons. Well, in fact, in the Christian Standard Bible... They've translated that word to occasions, seasons, or occasions in life. It describes the, the various experiences of life that we travel through. Remember, he, he is talking about life under the sun. He's saying, he says it in this poem, under heaven. There are seasons that we're going to experience. This is a poem about the human experience. It's the first thing I want you to take note of. Second thing is this. It begins by letting you know the parameters of the poem in the sense of the very opening stanza says there is a time to give birth and there's a time to die. Everything else that follows in this poem is about an experience that we uh, can embrace and we, we, we move through in this life between birth and death. We don't have time, unfortunately, to go through every single comparison that he makes here and break down each one, but I think that you'll get the picture of what he's talking about in this poem. Um, there are various experiences in life I do want to uh, point out, though, that, in fact, there are 14 experiences. There are, there are 14 uh, couplets where he compares two experiences with each other. And they're framed in a way that it seems one would be, we would call, a negative experience framed against one that would be a positive experience. And they're delivered to us in these little pairs or couplets, the thing is, there are 14 positive ones, and there are 14 negative ones, and, well, at the end of that, they've cancelled each other out, and what we're in, we end with is a big fat zero, which is maybe kind of frustrating. Third thing I want to observe about this poem before we get into what Solomon has to say about it. When we use the word season with each other in conversation, most Often, we're trying to use it in a context where we want to cheer someone up or encourage them, right? So we say things like, uh, you know, look, don't worry, this is just a season, it will get better. And so we understand that phrase, don't we? Um, things are, happen to us in seasons of life. What we mean by that is, look, just hold on. Hold on for a bit longer, it will get better. But I want you to notice that that isn't how Solomon uses the word season. He is describing an experience in life, but he doesn't actually comment in this poem as to whether some of those experiences are bad and that you don't want to have them and some of those experiences are good, so you should try to experience as many of those as possible. He's not teaching through this poem that we need to try and minimise the bad experiences and maximise the good experiences. He's not like some of the teachers that, you know, that you can hear on TV from different churches around the place who are sort of like, you know, claim your best life now or anything and just try to ignore all the bad things that happen to you in life. No, Solomon just simply says, they exist, Whether you like it or not, winter will end, spring will come, summer will pass, autumn will come again, and soon enough, we'll find ourselves back in winter. That's how the seasons work. And Solomon is simply saying, you will experience seasons. Time is a strange thing though, right? I mean, on the one hand, we can say, well, time's exactly the same. And let's not confuse ourselves with Einstein's theory of relativity or anything, but one minute is made up of 60 seconds. And, uh, well, there are 24 hours in the day. There are seven days in the week. No one has more. No one has less. We all have exactly the same time. So it seems... It's fixed. But yet, do you remember when you were a kid? I can remember sitting in the classroom looking at the clock hanging on the wall ticking. Boy, waiting till 3pm when the school bell rang and I could go out and play seemed like an eternity. Or, since we're doing this in a church service, I can remember as a kid... That two hours that church went, wow, that felt like two weeks sometimes, right? Or when you're a young, young and, and, and you're wanting to be an adult and you're wanting to experience the freedoms and the responsibilities that come with adulthood, yet when you're a child, it just feels like that's so far away. And yet for you older ones, you think back on your life and I've heard you say, it just flashes past. I remember the, the period of my time, the season of life where I had my first children, the, the little newborns. And those new parents, <laughs> sleepless nights and days filled with nappies and all the things that come with having little tiny children in the house. And it was hard. It's tough. You know, I also remember some of the older ones in our church and in our life who would sort of smile wistfully at us and say things like, don't wish away these days. Enjoy them while they last. They'll soon be gone. I can remember thinking, yeah, right. This feels like it's going to be Forever yet 20 years has flashed past and that little baby that I held is a, a man I think where did the time go time is a strange thing and, and we should ask Solomon Solomon what's going on here with this season business that you're talking about how should we understand it why does it seem so difficult why is it so frustrating? Let's read from verse 9 down to verse 15, which is all we're going to try and cover today. And Solomon, I think, is now reflecting on this poem and he's going to offer some observations about it himself. So we want to hear what Solomon has to say. So let's read it first from Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 9. What does the work again from his struggles. I have seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity in their hearts, but no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for them to rejoice and enjoy the good life It is also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks and enjoys all his efforts. I know that everything God does will last forever. There is no adding to it or taking from it. God works so that people will be in awe of him. Whatever is, has already been. And whatever will be, already is. However, God seeks justice for the persecuted. Here's the first and maybe unpopular point that Solomon is going to make. He launches into this section about commenting on the poem by asking the question that we should all be asking, or maybe you already are. Basically, he says, so what's the point of life? What benefit is there in the struggle under the sun that we all experience? But then comes the real kicker. He says, I've seen the task that God has given to the children of Adam to keep them occupied. It's not the first time he said something like that. We've already experienced at least two other occasions in the first two chapters where Solomon has said that God has given us this task. Sometimes he says, God has given us this miserable task. You can go back and see it in chapter 1 and verse 13 or chapter 2 and verse 26. When you add all three statements up, all of them are given in a negative context. He says, I've seen this way that humans whittle away their life and keep themselves busy. And he says, God's given that to us. I think that's what makes this a hard pill to swallow. That this frustration that we feel in life, this anxiousness that we experience in life as the seasons come and go, Solomon clearly states that this frustration comes from God. That may be challenging for you to consider this morning. God has given us this experience under the sun. But now we get to the coffee cup verse, right? The one that's plastered over two-thirds of all the merchandise in your local Christian bookstore. We like this verse mostly. In fact, you'll notice if you see the plaques that you can buy or the coffee cups that you can buy or the little Christian diaries that have got verses written on them. Verse 11 of chapter 3 is pretty famous. Well, at least two-thirds of the verses. The last phrase in that verse barely makes the cut. We just like the first two bits of it. Here's what the first two bits. Here's the things that you'll see on a plaque. It'll say something like this. God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also placed eternity in the hearts of man. And that's really inspiring. It's a wonderful thing. Why wouldn't you want that on your coffee cup, right? The problem is, as beautiful as that sentiment is, it's only part of the story. Without the last phrase of that verse... We're going to completely miss the point of what Solomon is trying to say. So let's read the whole verse, chapter 3, verse 11. It says this in the Christian Standard Bible. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also put eternity in their hearts. But no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. So Let's just reflect on that a bit. I think it's going to help us understand the poem. A lot of translations use the word beautiful here. Um, it's not wrong to use that word. That's that's the meaning of the word in Hebrew. But we can easily misunderstand what he's saying, partly because we impose our ideas of what beauty is onto that word. Another way that the Hebrew word can be translated, the way the Christian Standard Bible uses the word, is to say it's appropriate, or maybe it's fitting. So it isn't beautiful because it's pleasant. Instead, it is beautifully appropriate. It is just the right thing for its place. That's what that word means. So think about what, what he's saying here. Solomon is saying that all the seasons of life, all those couplets that he was talking about birth and death and grief and joy and he says that all of them both hard and good God has made appropriate for its time beautifully appropriate fitting for its occasion every season he says is perfectly fitting for where it is situated in your life. But now we have to add the second phrase. He has also put eternity in their hearts. So although we experience the various fleeting seasons in this temporal life, our hearts have actually been formed with eternity in mind. And that's whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. Every human being is an image bearer of their creator, formed and fashioned from clay, with his breath breathed into them to give them life, and their heart has been shaped and prepared and made for eternity. All humanity is caught between two realities the uncontrollable frustrations of this life and a heart that's made for heaven. Now we get to the poor, ignored last phrase, the one that never makes the coffee cup. It says, no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. If we add the three phrases together, we end up with something that I believe we actually already know deep down inside. Most people experience this thing called life and they know in their gut that there must be something more. That's part of the frustration, right? It's not just that the experiences that we have are difficult, but we have this nagging sensation that there must be something more. We can't figure out how to grasp it. Every time we pursue it, it slips through our fingers. Every time we think that we've made some hilltop, another valley appears. Every time we think we're standing on solid ground, it's in fact moving underneath us. This is how Augustine, who was a famous early church Father quite famously said it in a prayer that he wrote. Speaking to God, he said, You made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Pretty profound, isn't it? Or a modern day church leader, a guy by the name of Denny Aiken. He says it like this. He says, we look to all kinds of pleasures, experiences, relationships, and possessions in vain hopes of making sense of things. But we need to understand a divine purpose and plan were set in motion at the beginning and will work out at the end. There is a sovereign God reigning over all things who not only sees all that will happen, but declares all that will happen. You were made for the divine and for his purpose. So there should be no surprise that you get frustrated when you turn away from him. Look, in the concluding verses down to verse 15 here, but Solomon's basically making the case that under the sun, the best we should aim for is to try and enjoy the life we're dealt and that nothing we can do will alter God's purposes and plans. The question I ask now, is that it? Is that the best we can hope for? Is there something else that we should take into consideration, some other intervention that God has made? I mean, can we trace a path from here to Jesus? Well, the answer is yes. Yes, we can. Solomon is teaching us through this poem that the frustrations we feel, though they seem purposeless, are in fact full of divine purpose. A significant theme that sort of ties the entire book of Ecclesiastes together is the The theme which is the limitation of man's knowledge and and the limitation of our understanding. Our experiences under the sun coupled with a heart which is designed for eternity gives us just enough insight to know that there must be something more out there. And that partial knowledge that we have It ignites a quest within us to discover purpose and and destiny. Again, Denny Aiken, the modern-day church leader, he says it like this. He says, we perceive and long for better things than this cursed misery, but we cannot see the full picture and we must lean on God. We are trapped between time and eternity and we must trust that God uses the details to work out a grander plan. The frustration that we feel with the incomplete is meant to drive us to see where our yearning for wholeness can be satisfied. Ecclesiastes 3.13. Have a look at it. He says, It is also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all his efforts. That's a gift from God. I know that everything God does will last forever, he says. There's no adding to it or taking from it. God works so that people will be in awe of him. We're meant to look up from our frustrations, to see a vision of God that leaves us in awe. In our eating, in our drinking, in our quest to enjoy all the efforts under the sun that we go through, they're meant to drive us to Jesus who satisfies us completely in a way that nothing else can. I mean, you think about how Jesus talked about this, right? There's an occasion in John's Gospel where um, he suddenly left all the crowds. Now, all these crowds had been gathering and pursuing him and chasing after him because not that long earlier... Jesus had been doing a bit of an uh, outdoor teaching session and it was getting late in the day and people were hungry and you know the story maybe. Jesus said to his disciples you going know, find something to eat and they said, man, we, we'll never be able to afford enough food for all these people. There are like 5,000 at least of them. And Jesus finds some kid with a little lunch box and takes his fish and bread with his permission and prays over it and divides it up and he fed an entire crowd of people and they were satisfied and from then on the crowd started gathering right so on this occasion as the crowds were gathering jesus split and he disappeared and they couldn't find him and they were searching for him everywhere eventually let's pick up the story john 6 verse 25 When they found him on the other side of the sea, this is the crowd. When they they found him on the other side of the sea, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, you were looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. "'What can we do to perform the works of God?' they said. Jesus replied, "'This is the work of God, that you believe in the one he sent.'" "'What sign, then, are you going to do so that we might see and believe you?' they asked. "'What are you going to perform?' Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. I want you to hear the tone, right? They're they're going, Well, you know, you could always do that bread thing again. Wink, wink, nod, nod. That was good. They said to him, verse 34, Give us this bread always. They misunderstood what Jesus had said. Go back to verse 32. When Jesus heard them saying, Hey, listen, why don't you give us a feed again? He said to them, Truly I tell you, Moses didn't give them the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And that's why they said, Well, sir, give us this bread. We want bread that will satisfy us. Verse 35. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever thirst again. I don't want you to miss the significance of those final words that we just read of Jesus, as he spoke to that crowd, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Jesus is pointing to himself, offering himself as the satisfaction to our searching. The the fulfillment of all of our frustrations. I don't know what season of life you're in right now. I do know you're in one. We all are. And I'm not talking about this COVID season that we all keep hearing about. All of us are living through the ebb and flow of life. Even While I've been here talking with you, the waves are rolling in, the tide is moving. As the wind blows, these sand dunes slowly shift. It's a a metaphor of what our lives are like. You are in a season right now. Listen, your great purpose in life is is not to simply endure the difficult seasons in order to reach the pleasant seasons. It's not to bunker down in the night so that you can rejoice at the dawn. Instead, it's to embrace the season, whatever that season is in your life, to feel its sorrow or to experience its joy but to know that it will leave you unsatisfied Solomon says there is a season for everything or there is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven and that God has made appropriate each one of these seasons for its time. That frustration you feel, that yearning that you experience, that hunger after you've eaten, that thirst that you cannot quench, It's actually a gracious gift from God's hand that is designed to help you lift your head and find the gift of God that will satisfy. The one that is designed to fit your God-shaped heart. Jesus went on to tell those same crowds in John's gospel that had been searching after him just a little bit further down the verse. He says, everyone that the father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me. I'll never cast out. I want you to hear this morning. Whether you've been a follower of Jesus for many years or maybe whether you're just exploring, what does that look like? And you've tuned in today to our feed but I can guarantee that you know what I'm talking about that there's a, a quest and a yearning and a pursuit for some type of satisfaction to the frustrations of life that you feel I want to tell you clearly this morning that you will only ever find it when you lift your head from your frustrations to see Jesus as being your satisfaction As Augustine said, your heart will continue to be restless until it finds its rest in him. This is a beautiful spot. I'm grateful for the gifts that God gives us to enjoy in this world. But don't miss the greatest gift. I'm the bread of heaven, he said. Anyone who comes to me, never hunger, never thirst again. Jesus will be and is our satisfaction. Have a great day.